Welcome to Afterthoughts. I am here with the round table. We have everyone uh, here this afternoon, Walker, Hugh, Brandon, myself, and we are actually going to backtrack to summer conversations about a month ago. We invite people to text in some questions and give some uh, conversation around those. And we got so many questions that we didn't get to them all that night. So we thought we would record a podcast asking and answering some of your questions around um, gender, sexuality, culture, how Christians relate to culture. But before we jump in there, I thought to hear from each of you, what's something you're encouraged by right now in the life of our church? I love that college students are back. We had a room full of students for College Core at nine. We were talking around the idea of universal church and local church and the emphasis of the scripture there. Uh, engagement was high. And then we came back that night. We had a cookout at the Reed's house, had a bunch of folks there. We ate well, played games. They bring a lot of life. It's good having them back. Yeah, that's great. Brandon? I'm encouraged by a s- small fledgling fostering ministry in our church between folks who are seeking to wrap around care for those who are fostering and those who are opening homes to kids who, who need a safe space where they can hear the gospel and be cared for. Um, it's a sweet thing to see. I'm encouraged by just the care that I see among members. There's been random hardships happening in the church and it, it seems like our church is caring really well for people in need, both physically and, and emotionally. So I'm encouraged by that. That's really great. And I'm consistently encouraged by the the conversations around the teaching on Sunday. Every week when I preach, get asked good questions from members, get uh uh, encouragement on the ways you're thinking about and applying the truth of the scripture. So certainly as we um, are coming out of the David and Bathsheba Uriah episode and into some um, muddier passages that that uh, uh, lack some level of clarity often, uh, it's encouraging to see us grapple with those hard passages of scripture. So um, one of the things we're going to do this afternoon is kind of grapple with some difficult questions. And um, a number of those questions centered around uh, the 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 line of demarcation between uh, affirmation and celebration versus love and respect. So you know, ask specifically, how can I model love and respect to someone in, say, the LGBTQ community without um, celebrating or affirming? One of the points we made in. Uh, the summer conversations is that there's a there's a drift to and even a press to particularly those in that community to not just stop with um, I can love you but not accept the the lifestyle you're into. No, you've got to uh, overtly affirm and celebrate me in that world. So uh, help kind of Christians think through what is what does love and respect look like that stops short of celebration and affirmation. The pause. Here we go. Um, Okay, so maybe we could say what it doesn't look like. And that I think it does not look like um, public belittling of people in that community, particularly how you engage online. I think uh, being behind a computer screen, it's so easy to um, remove 
somebody's personhood and kind of boil them down. Well, they're just this, and um, and that's not. It's not charitable. It's not uh, a Christian way to deal with people. So uh, we'll start there and say you can't carry yourself like that online. Hmm. I say just to be reminded that the unity that we feel on Sunday morning is because we have the spirit inside of us that we are sharing. And so being reminded that um, most of these people we're talking about are unbelievers. So they're, they're, they have a, they have a fleshly mind. So um, just maybe like um, being careful. I mean, there's, there's definitely, we need, we want to correct, but realizing that there's not the same spirit that we share with one another, not the same common ground that we're sharing. So just kind of giving some, some pause to, to, to think about that. Yeah. I think it also is, there's a difference between what we would mean when we say respect and care and what the world means when they say respect and care, uh, thinking of new Testament, um, the respectful right thing to do would have been say Caesar is Lord and we're going to walk with the culture and we're going to fit in and we're going to do things the way that the culture has done. And the way of Christians has been countercultural. Um, because Christ has entered, ushered in a new kingdom that is counter to the kingdom of the world. And so there, there should be some expectation that there will be some friction and rub, even when trying to be respectful and kind to people who don't agree with our worldview. Don't you think that there's like, we don't want to seed the ground culturally that to respect is to affirm? Agree. So how, how can we kindly, graciously say, no, we don't buy that, that you, you can separate these ideas. I think we're working upstream. I think that ground has been seeded already. Um, and that it's, it's a minority position broadly, at least in the cultural meme, kind of the, the big picture of the, the way that people think and and interact that, uh, tolerance, like that conversation was in the nineties that your tolerance means, um, I disagree with you, but I can live with you and I'm not going to infringe on your rights. I'm not going to do anything to hurt you, but I think you're wrong and I wouldn't want someone else to follow your lifestyle. Now mm-hmm. tolerance means I affirm you mm-hmm. in everything that you do. And if I don't affirm you in everything that you do, I'm intolerant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think my experience has been that that if we can separate the Stark refers to it as, you know, the performative individualism. So what's playing out on the cultural space. So that's maybe a line of demarcation I would want to draw is is stopping short of kind of the celebration or praising and kind of the public space, any of the trappings of those cultural symbols more publicly, what I post online. But I find that if I can get one-on-one with an actual human and have an intelligent conversation uh, on the basis of pre-existing fa- friendship or family relationship, people aren't nearly as apt to just have, and it certainly happens, I'm not mistaken that, but just these, whole, I'm, I'm never going to interact with you again because you said uh, my lifestyle was not acceptable. Now, if, if that's plastered all over my social media post, it's mm-hmm. going to to get bashed and critiqued and, and so on. Um, or if I'm 
uh, you know, consistently uh, celebrating Pride Days publicly or posting flags or whatever, um, that th- there there's something that that I'm celebrating or affirming that's that's probably across the line. But again, I think I can have a respectful dialogue with someone that's doing that in the safe space of my kitchen table, my living room, dialogue with Sarah and community. And it just seems to land very, very differently. Any follow-up conversation there? Um, all right, let me grab uh, let me grab another question. Sorry. Yeah, so a number of questions wrapped around this notion of kind of knowing the uh, the response of someone. So they've got a coworker, they've got a family member. Um, they're going to mock me. They're going to insult me. They're they're going to walk away from the relationship. So how do I minister? How do I cultivate relationship with someone that that insists say that I use their preferred pronoun or uh, a new name identity that that they have developed um, and fear that they're going to break relationship, get very angry. Maybe they've modeled that in the past. Um, are there any ways that you guys would suggest kind of best practices for maintaining relationship while holding ground there? Like totally not flippantly answering to pray uh, for that person and for yourself that um, from the beginning of the, the Bible to the end, God is the one who does the work of changing hearts uh, in the Old Testament, kind of circumcising hearts, giving the spirit in the New Testament with the new covenant, uh, indwelling us with the spirit. And what Walker said earlier, that the spirit is the bond of peace, the, the bond of unity that we have as Christians. Um, if we have people around us who are unbelievers and living like unbelievers, and we anticipate their reactions to us being hostile, then asking the Lord earnestly and regularly and inviting others to do the same, that he would change their hearts and make them receptive to truth. Uh, because such were all of us before God did something in us. Yeah, I think this is a new territory for American Christians, but when we read the Beatitudes and other passages, there's a a built-in assumption of persecution, Mm -hmm. and I don't think most of us have grown up in a world where that was really normative, where we would have categories for even what that looked like. So in some ways, the, the expectation of some persecution, opposition, does give me a fresh reading in the New Testament text. It really does position me more in that kind of first century culture in space that that maybe has not been true of American Christians. So I would want to embrace that. I would want to say persecution isn't bad. Uh, hostility isn't bad. And then in the same breath, I would want to say th- there is a sense that I'm presuming upon God by anticipating somebody's reactions mm-hmm. to hard things that I might say or you know, what happens, we've all probably worried ourselves sick into a conversation and then had it play out very differently than we imagined it would. So I think with the Council of Prayer is also, I think it says something about our faith to walk into something that we would assume would be hostile and hard with a sensitivity to the Spirit. And then, you know, I think often I'm just surprised by what the Spirit does even uh, in a presumed hostile conversation. I think the other thing is to, is to recognize with every relationship under the sun, no single person can bear all the responsibility for that relationship, right? Like it's, if, if there's two guys, it's, there's division of responsibility between the two. So when, when Paul says, 
if possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with people, right? So there's, with these issues of pronouns and new names, I think you got to do what your conscience will allow you to do and don't go beyond that. Mm-hmm. And if if you can't go to what someone else has set as a standard, I think you can have a clear conscience to say, I've, I've done yeah, what I can do in order to live at peace with this person. That's right. But I cannot bear a hundred percent of the responsibility for that relationship. And we were just finishing up lunch with a brother that's pastoring in Salt Lake City, and he was commenting on, you know, the the Christian subculture. You don't have this. Uh, I think he used the term uh, refraction of you know relationship where they bump into a Christian here, and then at the supermarket they bump into another Christian, and then at soccer there's just not enough Christians in the culture to sustain that. But if you're ministering in a place like Greenville and you're you know thinking about your neighbors, uh, you know, I think praying that they they bounce off of some other Christians who are winsome and kind and, uh, you know, good neighbors who are also saying similar things, as you would say, you know, about uh, about that lifestyle. And I think we can, in our cultural context, live with some expectation that people are going to bump into some other Christians. And if we are consistent in our cultural stances on these issues, this is where we you just can't cave to the gender sexuality conversation. Christians have to be Christians to mm-hmm. this issue. Now, I was thinking a thought that you had from the Sunday is that we are, as, as humans, we are very earth-minded and time and space-minded, but God is eternal-focused, and he's orchestrating these relationships and different yeah, opportunities. So... Um, that was really helpful for me this the Sunday. I, had, I was having lunch with another guy, and we were talking about the, you know, zooming out and being reminded that the here and now mm-hmm. is um, God has a much bigger perspective. So even though a relationship potentially might go sideways, who knows what that's happening in you know twenty, thirty years that you know talk about seed plant the seed of the gospel truth could grow into something. Um, because of your faithfulness. All right, let's fast forward relationally. Another question that was asked is around um, if the person does walk away from the relationship. So you uh, hold a line on gender sexuality or just, you know, to a non-believing friend, family member, they do walk away from the relationship. Um, Several posts around, you know, they block me on social media. They're not... Um, What what responsibility should, should we feel? I think, Brandon, your point of... Uh, remaining prayerful for that individual. I think this is a place where having some system to your prayer, you know, where uh, every, you know, every Tuesday I'm going to pray for my evangelism list and I'm going to work through the names of those and kind of consistently committing to that, not just when they pop in your mind, but having something that holds your feet to the fire to, am I praying for them? But are are there other ways that uh, Christians should feel burdened to reach out to someone that's uh, made it clear that um, you're not welcome there. He said your name, Brandon, in <laughs> posing the question, so I think the ball's in your court. Yeah, well, I, I feel like I want to repeat what Hugh just said, though. The, the If you are uh, kind and doing what you can for that person, as much as it depends on you to uh, live peaceably with them and, and to be connected to them, um, you know, I don't, I don't know that that means that there's like a, a weekly, I'm going to send you a text message, yeah. but I know that there are, uh, lots of people who are living in ex- estranged relationships who do frequently reach out just to, to 
make the connection. I love you. I miss you. Would like to connect if there's a time that those kinds of things are fine. You know, why would I send a message that's like, let me, let me finish arguing my point since you blocked me. I don't want to do that. But if I really do want a genuine relationship with this person, then indicating that via technology, text, you know, carrier pigeon, whatever access you have to send a message of care and concern, you know, I don't, I don't think that that would be wrong. And one of the ways the question was framed was, you know, I've, I've got a, a family member who joined the LGBT movement. I, I think, particularly if it's like family that you may cross paths with and bump into this, like the movement dynamics of LGBT so closely parallel local church that it it, it really is joining this uh, environment and space that is providing a lot of the community and uh, hope and help that we find in the local church and the truth of the gospel. And so I think I can testify to those things, how the gospel is good news to me, how mm-hmm. Jesus is good news to me, how my local church is serving and providing and loving us well. I don't have to run headlong at the LGBTQ issue mm-hmm. if I'm testifying to, 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 to how— because they're seeking good news in that movement, and I'm finding good news in the truth of the gospel and the health of the local church. So I would just say kind of steer clear of the argumentative space of LGBTQ if that's kind of been a clear breakup space and kind of go higher to just what is good news for you and testifying to, to the beauty of those things and allow the spirit to, to work there. Mm-hmm. Guess anything? Um Hugh, I'll start with you here. We did, we did have a, a couple of questions like um, uh, persons wrestling with gender and sexuality issues, right? So, you know, I've had thoughts of, uh, of uh, person writes, I've had thoughts of being gay. What do I do? I mean, that's, that's a pretty direct mm-hmm. uh, question there. Um, so um, how, how might you counsel or help somebody that's not wrestling through this at a theoretical cultural level, but really wrestling with it at a personal level. Yeah, I think the answer to this question could be applied to a broad category of questions um, in regard to, I read one thing objectively in the scriptures. Uh, Experientially, I've heard the same kind of messaging in church growing up, but I feel something different, right? So like, this, this kind of line could be uh, applied in fighting temptation to sin. It could be um, inappropriate relationships, all that kind of thing. So I think we have to really hold feelings to their appropriate place. So inappropriate place would be to say, your feelings don't matter at all. They have no value in your life whatsoever. The other end of the spectrum is also inappropriate to say that feelings are king and they sit on the throne. So it's wrong for Christians to think that there's no place or it's it has ultimate place. We have to think about it maybe like with the analogy of a train that that affections they're one of the and feelings it's it's one of the cars on the train but it's not driving. It's, it's not the engine of the train. So for this person to say, I've had these thoughts, I've had these feelings towards living a gay lifestyle, I would say it needs to be a matter of humility and submission, recognizing that 
Jesus is Lord to say what he has said is objective. It's not, it's not moving and recognize that our own thoughts and feelings are wildly not objective. They're so easily swayed to and, and from. So, um, yeah, like don't disregard thoughts and feelings, but they can't drive the train. And it's, I mean, it's harder to, to tease that out in a cultural context where you have so many uh, people saying, well, I mean, was Jesus as clear as he said he was? Is the Bible as clear on this issue? So I think we we have to, if this is you kind of responding to the question, just have to be careful, like, who has our ear? And are we reading the Bible just in our own private space and grabbing whatever books are being written on this topic? And you can find somebody that's going to espouse the view, and it becomes much more palatable if I can say, well, no, I'm not running against the Bible's teaching here. Actually, the Bible kind of minces words here is unclear, and there, there are books that are going to affirm that, versus kind of staying into Christian community, um, asking pastors, ministry leaders, hey, what what can I read? How can I think on this subject? Um, you know, the, the feelings that you were describing, I mean, it's it's no different than any of our fight against sin, right? We have uh, impulses that war against the clear teaching of Scripture. So I wouldn't counsel someone any differently than I would battling pornography or anger or any other. It's easy to kind of ostracize this as the sin, but I think you know, it's, sin is going to; these impulses are going to war in all of us. And so, bring those from darkness into light in good, healthy Christian community with a high view of scripture and a clear stance on issues regarding gender and sexuality um, is going to be kind of the means of, of fighting well. Yeah, no, I agree that that's a lot of what I was going to say. The, uh, the, the tendency, particularly in, in this kind of conversation to make same sex attraction a bigger deal than uh, proclivity to drink too much or to, you know, speak unkindly to people or to fill in the blank. Like we're all, in a, in a broken fallen world, we, we have a flesh and a sin nature that we are warring against resisting in the spirit. Uh, and we per Romans eight can have success in that battle in a way that someone who's not a believer cannot, right? We, we can overcome sin because who's in us has already overcome sin. Um, and so there, there may be paths where <clears throat> if I'm prone to alcoholism, I just have to be a teetotaler for the rest of my life and never mind how much I like this, that, or the other. Uh, and if I'm prone, uh, if I'm prone towards same sex attraction, that may mean that I have to uh, live a life of, of celibacy. And that's going to be the way that I'm obedient to Christ and, and live out my faith. And, um, that can be very difficult. That That's not a thing that, um, we should take lightly to say, Hey, I'm, I'm I might be unable to have this kind of companionship that people who don't have same sex attraction can, uh, in the church. Um, but the, that's sometimes the, the obedient path or often the obedient path is a difficult path, but keeping in mind second Corinthians, um, four, that there's an eternal weight of glory that's absolutely incomparable to our, our temporary sufferings that if we hold fast to, the gospel and to living our faith, like that's what's in front of us, not thinking about the next 20, 50, 70 years of life, but eternity is a, a much bigger weight to carry. 
I'm going to stay with you on this next question because you've lived in the space more recently than any of the three of us. But um, question around kind of marketplace, vocation, um, that area, as there's increasingly cultural movement towards affirmation and celebration, there's also increasing vocational pressure from a boss or just the cultural norm in a workplace to... um, you know, put your preferred pronouns in an email signature to address a coworker using a, a you know, a, a name or an identity that they, they have created. Um, how should faithful Christian witness, what form should it take in the secular marketplace for a member who's really convinced that these are, these are sin issues, like conscious-wise to to use, you know, his pronouns and email signature to refer to a coworker uh, by uh, the gender that they've chosen uh, would be, would be sin issues. What, what counsel would we give there? Yeah, it's a difficult conversation because what we're hoping to do is um, have our cake and eat it too. And um, I remember at the summer conversation, Daniel answered a question like this in, the panel discussion to say that traditionally Christians have been pushed out of the marketplace uh, when they don't kind of fall in line with what's culturally normative. And so, you know, there's aspects of, of those conversations that I don't, I don't know that I would say is a sin issue. So for me to put he, him in my signature, I'm just affirming that's who I am and I'm following the way that God has created me. Um, I think that when dealing with other people who are, uh, insisting on things that it it can take some mental gymnastics to be able to say, well, I'll use names or they, them pronouns uh, versus totally affirming that somebody is living as the opposite gender um, that they were created as or born as. Um, and it, it can be difficult, but I, I think that there there may come a time when you can't do both, that if you're going to work in a high profile thing in a big company, that you're going to have to kind of walk with your conscience there. And if your company insists that you do things that violate your conscience, there may come a time and it may come sooner than later that um, the kinds of opportunities that you have are different than they used to be, or that there are people who need to start Christian companies who are doing business in in ways that kind of follow with um, our morals and, and ethics and that it just may not be possible to interact on a, a larger level in spaces if if they get kind of hedged in in that way. What's your brother say? I'm going to put go dogs in my email signature. <laughs> <laughs> I think something we talked about at the summer conversation and this is just a simple thing, but just not to be jerks, like about how we handle this in the workplace. Some if if we're going to have a conversation with the with the boss or the coworker, not being um, you know, this is kind of a, I about it's, a, it's a strange new world. We're kind of clearing the dust away from our eyes, trying to figure out how to maneuver in this world. Um, so just to oversimplified view right now is just to not be jerks about it, but just, just to walk with patience and, and with love, trying to figure out the most loving way to connect with the boss or coworker mm-hmm. on these issues. Yeah. And that's, that's super simple, but. So I've got two ideas. One, we've already talked about the matter of the conscience and not, 
not sinning against your conscience, right? So we've, there are issues that are objectively black and white. Um, Christians should not uh, steal. They should not commit adultery. Then there are other matters that are, it, it becomes a matter of the conscience that we're free to partake or free to abstain. I think this is a gray area and uh, various important people through Christian history have said something along the lines of love God and do what you want. So if, if you can do something with a clear conscience, if you can do it knowing you're doing it before God's face and you're doing it uh, for his glory, then there should be happy freedom in the doing. Yeah. I think the, the tension that I feel is, I think there are often times when we use the conscious issue and and it's it can be a cop-out in the sense of, I think there are places where our conscience needs to be developed, matured, honed, refined, come under the truth of the scriptures. And so I also don't want to use that as kind of a catch-all category that that's just, you know, I'm getting... I'm going to have these real firm convictions, but I, I want to talk about them in Christian community. I want to get um, some insight from some others who maybe land a little bit differently than I do on these issues and hear how a well-meaning Christian could come to a, a different conclusion and not have my heels so dug in, right, that I'm, I'm already convinced that that this is my long-term position on this issue. Because again, I think it is somewhat of a moving target how we relate to these issues uh, culturally, and so so I think there can be just a lot of refinement and ongoing dialogue, and and I do think you know my my point about evangelism a minute ago, but to Walker's idea is just like making sure that I'm having that I'm not doing this in the land of theory, but I'm actually doing it in in concrete. So having a relationship with an employer, like you know having reasonable dialogue and not just assuming the stance on this issue, making sure that I've explained myself in a clear way why this would be a conviction issue. And then, you know, as Brandon said, there there could be, depending on the size of the company and the nature of that, just a clear line of demarcation where, hey, you need to be honing other skills and looking for other ways, you know, how could I provide for my family and other means if it appears that my path is uh, going to be restricted in some measure by by my stance on these on these issues. But again, I wouldn't want to uh, I, I wouldn't want to live in the future space and just assume my employer is naturally going to you know go here or even a statement that I get in an email that's kind of a broad blanket email. How that might shift or morph if I actually get one on one with an individual and gently and carefully explain here's here's where I am or if other people in my company you know they hey, let's let's pray that the lord moves here and this this becomes a space that that we can have some some more honest dialogue but i do think the day's coming where this is going to be a more prominent conversation i think there are a lot of issues for the church um, to think through how do we support and advocate for members that are in that place of like convictionally having to uh, step away and and uh, and needing help. I think it's a place where Christian businessmen can can really you know what's the role of kind of secular marketplace ministry. If I'm not a pastor, then you know somehow JV. Well, no, I mean this could be a very significant way in many domains of society where Christian business leaders can emerge who employ people that that share convictions. Walker, did you have her Hugh something to add there? 
Man, I had a really good thought. Sorry, oh, oh, yeah, I, I yeah, talked yeah. too it, long. It, it, just, it just came back. You're talking about um, convictions and long-term convictions. Like, I can think of a host of issues where my conscience has moved yeah, yeah. on particular yeah. issues. And so I think what you just said is is 100% correct, and it's a, it's an apologetic for why the local church matters, right? For, like, why engaging meaningfully and talking with people in the church about these issues because— Convictions that that you guys have can shape my my own, either to to strengthen them if they're a little bit thin, or to maybe dial back to say maybe I'm I'm going beyond what I I should be doing. So hopefully, if if the church is functioning rightly, there's a lot of humility. There's a lot of this is what's going on in my life. What do you think? helped me think rightly about this going on that we're kind of um, serving one another in that process. Which to that point, I think uh, a point I made at the the summer conversations, I, th- I think the the move to the local, to the, because when you say church there, you're speaking of local church, yes. right? We're not, we're not extrapolating this to like this broad podcasty land where I listen to different sermons from, but we're saying, these are these are people that I know that I respect. I've committed. I've covenanted to, to these members You're over an extended in, period of time. Yeah. So when they speak into my life in a very personal way, um, they've got some authority there. Yes. Uh, you know that comes from the from the proximity of relationship, and that doesn't happen quickly. But I, you know, I'm at the church consistently, and so I see the life of our body, and I hear the conversations that we're all having with members that are doing the very thing we're encouraging now. So I think the more you can live in community and say, here's the very real thing that is happening in my workplace. Help me think through this very real issue. And again, not just kind of broad theory or not living in hot button topic world where where we're speculating about things that might happen, but just living out your life in good Christian community um, under the the care of a local church can be tremendously helpful. So um, to that end, hope this has uh, served you well, and uh, we'll continue conversation next week.